We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromolo, joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, to full press coverage at bostonsportpage.com. Well, after 22 weeks, the 2021 NFL season has finally reached its ultimate destination, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, and Super Bowl 56. And it features one team that many expected to be there, the Los Angeles Rams, And another that nobody, and I mean nobody, expected to be there, let alone the playoffs, the Cincinnati Bengals. And analysts predicted the game appear to be split right down the middle. And while some people may be understandably fretting the absence of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl, I think the football gods left us a very awesome matchup at the end of the day. Don't you, Hal? I certainly do, David. Uh, Matt Stafford, Joe Burrow, I'll take that matchup all day on Super Bowl Sunday. And yes, I will certainly say, David, I was looking at our uh, my notes from our first podcast of this NFL season, and we were predicting uh, the teams, and I picked Cincinnati for dead last. So my apologies, Cincinnati. You know I've been riding that bandwagon. I got on early this year, but I was not there at the beginning. So, oh. What a great Super Bowl, though. I cannot wait. Oh, especially those headlines coming from training camp, like, oh, Joe Burrow, his knee is the same. Jamar Chase can't catch an NFL football. We thought they were going to get killed in week one by the Vikings, and they said, hold it. And they won that game in week one, but they weren't done there. They just went on and on and won big game after big game after big game, and they reached the Super Bowl in just the second year of Joe Burrow's NFL career. We will get into that a lot more a little bit later on but first let's talk about our main takeaways from the conference championship weekend what were yours Hal? well you know uh the end of the tom brady dynasty i thought we had a uh you know i'm sorry that was the week before uh i'm the jimmy garoppolo dynasty ending in san francisco and you know again this is the third straight time we're seeing a kyle shanahan team exiting the playoffs uh after having a big lead he was the offensive coordinator in atlanta in the famous 28 to 3 game we all know what happened to san francisco in the super bowl a couple years ago and then against uh the rams here this past week uh you know it's uh raising some concerning questions in san francisco and kansas city um you know that offense that looked so great uh in the second half of the season at the beginning of the playoffs all of a sudden in the second half of that game i mean credit the cincinnati defense but at the same time ooh, that kansas city offense showed some flashes of what it looked like early in the year so uh, there may be another playmaker needed on the way in kansas city uh for next year absolutely we've been saying they need more depth at the uh, pass catcher position outside of the Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill wide receiver or tight end. They're going to have to get a third option for Patrick Mahomes in that passing game, which they currently do not have. And that reared its ugly head at the worst possible time for the chiefs. My main takeaways are as follows. The Bengals making it to the super bowl is an absolute fitting conclusion to one of the most unpredictable NFL seasons in recent memory. Just a team that nobody predicted to get into the playoffs for quite loud. A lot of people thought they would be picking the top five of the draft. Now they're in the Super Bowl. It's just so fitting to such an unpredictable season. It really is. And you were right, Hal. The overtime rules are just fine. The Chiefs won the toss, and they still lost. The only difference, the Bengals' defense showed up and made a play. The Bills' defense, unfortunately, did not. The overtime rules are just fine the way they are. And given player safety, there is absolutely no need to change them, and the Bengals gave us an extra reason why they should not be changed. Indeed, indeed, David. And like I've always said, you know, you got to play all three parts of that game, defense, special teams, offense. And we've seen too many games this year where teams are strong in one of those three areas. And you've got to be able to handle all three to get here where these two teams are today. And uh, we saw that in the conference championship games as well. 
you got to play defense. You got to make stops. You got to score. And you've got to make your kicks and make your plays on special teams because um, any mistakes in any of those three phases and uh, your season's over. Indeed. And one of the best ways to help avoid such mistakes is good coaching. And speaking of coaching, let's grade the rest of the NFL head coach hires. We graded the Broncos with Nathaniel Hackett the last time we were together and the Bears with Matt Eberflus the last time we were together. And since we last met, the seven remaining vacancies have been filled. And let's start with the New York football giants. We love their hire of Joe Shane as general manager, bringing him over from Buffalo where he was the assistant GM, but they weren't done there. They brought over Brian Dable, who was the bills offensive coordinator these past several years and was key in the development of Josh Allen to be their new head coach. And not only that, he's putting together one hell of a staff. He brought in Mike Kafka, the Chiefs quarterbacks coach and an NFL veteran himself to be the offensive coordinator and for the defensive coordinator, despite losing Patrick Graham to the Raiders, he brought in somebody just as good, if not better, Don Week Martindale, who was interestingly let go by the Ravens. Don Week Martindale, uh, even though his scheme is not the most in vogue scheme in, in the NFL, he's arguably the best defensive coordinator in the NFL, given his recent track record. So for this, I'm going to have to give it an A minus. And the only reason why I'm giving it an A minus is because I'm not sure Daniel Jones is the answer quarterback and having a great quarterback is even more important than having a great coach. And if they somehow, some way land a, a great quarterback, whether it's uh, this year via trade or next year via the draft, this grade, like the Simpsons, will become an A++. The Giants <laughs> have absolutely nailed this hiring cycle on both the GM and coaching fronts. What do you think? Uh, uh, David, I'm already in the A-plus category. I thought Dable was the number one head coaching um, person out there last year. Forget about about this season it was ridiculous he was still looking for a job this year uh great for the bills that they got an extra year out of him and another year for him um to get josh allen up to speed and playing at an mvp level still so uh, but for the for the giants you know if you can get dable it's a slam dunk it's an a plus and then reaching outside of his comfort zone uh to bring in you know play uh coordinators not necessarily linked to him in the past another great move i think by dable bring in the best of the best and you'll work you know and i don't see any problems with that i think slam dunk hiring all the way around i think the giants have so far had a fantastic straight a off season and like you said the 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 big question now is, is Dable going to turn Daniel Jones into the next Josh Allen or well, is he Daniel getting, an, <laughs> exactly. Or, or is he getting a fresh lump of clay uh, either this year or next year to, to mold because you got the quarterback whisperer now. So you may as well take advantage of him and uh, see what he can do. But uh, straight a plus, as far as I'm concerned on the hiring of Dable. We are definitely simpatico when it comes to the Giants. And now let's go to the Las Vegas Raiders. And as we uh, spoke last time, uh, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler were interviewing for their head coach at GM jobs, and uh, people were expecting the deals to get done, and they did get done. So Patriots West has landed in Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels as head coach and Dave Ziegler as GM. I fully expect Josh McDaniels to be far better than he was in Denver. And having Dave Ziegler around is going to help that tremendously. And the fact that he has Derek Carr only makes his job easier. Derek Carr, one of the, the most underrated quarterbacks in this game, if not the most underrated quarterback, dare I say, easily a top 10 quarterback in my eye. And uh, Josh McDaniels uh, should get uh, a lot of greatness harnessed out of Derek Carr. But the only thing that's keeping this from an A for me is that Patriots experiments elsewhere have not worked. So the issue is not necessarily roster talent. There's plenty of it. It's organizationally. And how will the Raiders as an organization be able to function in order to surpass the Chiefs and, dare I say, the Chargers, who are still up and coming in that AFC West? 
this is a solid B plus for me. But uh, the big mysteries I say is, can they make the Patriots way work outside of New England and buck historical trends? Yeah, and I agree with you on that, David. There's not a great history there. And although they are aligned with the front office and the GM, again, McDaniels has that, uh, you know, that whole Jay Cutler experience there. I'm hoping he keeps Carr. It'd be ridiculous if he didn't. Um, I think he's got a, you know, the best of Josh McDaniels uh, with the best of Carr is a is a perfect fit for Las Vegas. So I think that offense can, you know, take a step forward. Um, very good hire. Like I said, I'll I'll give it a B plus. I think Josh McDaniels has learned from what happened in Denver. I think he's learned from his step back and almost head coaching there in Indianapolis to, you know, wait until he's in the right situation with the right pieces around him. And okay, maybe he's here, but again, it's Josh McDaniels. And we've seen his track record without Bill Belichick standing next to him. And it's not very good. So you've got to have a little apprehension there. And that's why I put it in the B plus category. Oh, we're simpatico on all these grades so far. And moving on to the Minnesota <laughs> Vikings. Their new head coach will be coaching this Sunday in the Super Bowl. Current Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell, after Sunday is done, will be the new head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And here's what concerns me about the, this hire. I don't doubt Kevin O'Connell's football smarts, but he isn't in charge of calling the plays here. I don't think he has any experience as a play caller whatsoever in the NFL. And his main responsibility as a Benjamin Albright NFL insider for 850 KOA radio in Denver said was managing the first 15 or so plays of the game, the script, so to speak. And the Rams are one of the most mediocre teams in the NFL on script when it comes to their offense. And when it comes to regular game flow, they're like second. Sean McVay actually runs that offense, uh, not Kevin O'Connell. This has the feeling of like a Matt Nagy, Andy Reid kind of vibe, if you know what I mean. So I'm going to give it a C right now. Yeah, I, I'm not high on this one either, David. I'm at about a, a, a C plus maybe. Again, you know, if you're, it, it feels like, you know, uh, somebody had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, so we're going to hire him as the head coach. And we've talked in the past about how much goes into being that head coach and how much is that leadership and respect that you have to command from all 53 players, everybody on the practice squad, the entire staff. And it just seems like there were better choices still out there. Um, you know, we talked about Leslie Frazier, who did not land a job this year. We talked about Todd Bowles, another, um, you know, Byron Leftwich, who in a way pulled himself out of the Jaguars opportunity. But again, another player with a former player and somebody with, again, a little more uh, meat on his bones as far as working as an offensive coordinator and that communication between the team that I think would have been a better fit. So I, th I think this one might end up being a little bit of a swing and a miss, but again, Hey, we could be wrong because I thought the same thing about Zach Taylor and uh, he's coaching in the Super Bowl next week. So maybe they're looking there. They've got their fingers crossed, but I'm going to go with a C plus on this one. I don't mean to take anything away from Zach Taylor. He's done a good job, but, do you really think the Bengals would make it this far without Joe Burrow? Yeah. And it's talking about Joe Burrow gets into that whole Brian Flores thing, which we're not going to talk about right this second, but you know, of boy, if you get that quarterback and you get the right one, it makes your job as a head coach a whole lot easier. Absolutely. Hal. And as I said, when we were talking about Brian Dable a couple minutes ago, Having that great quarterback is even more important than having a great head coach. Most coaches will be the first to tell you that they're only as good as the players they have on the football field. And there is no more important position in football or in sports in general than the quarterback position. And without that top 10 quarterback, you have absolutely no chance of sustained success in the NFL. You might have a flash of the pan season like the 2017 Jaguars did or the 2001 and 2018 Chicago Bears did, but you will not 
have sustained success in the National Football League unless you have that top 10 clear-cut franchise quarterback that is all there is to it and speaking of franchise quarterbacks there is a potential franchise quarterback in Jacksonville named Trevor Lawrence and I thought the Jaguars hit a home run when they reportedly hired Byron Leftwich but that appeared to be coming from Byron Leftwich's camp and negotiations stalled because the Jaguars unfortunately would not acquiesce to his demands by doing the right thing and firing Trent Baalke and replacing him with a more competent general manager. So instead they settled for Doug Peterson. And before people say, well, Doug Peterson coached the Eagles to that Super Bowl victory in 2017, he might've, but I think it's more clear than ever that Frank Reich was the brains behind that offense for Philadelphia in 2017, not Doug Peterson, because since Frank Reich left for Indy, that Eagles offense has gone on a downturn, man, that's all there is to it. And I am just not impressed with this hire because the Jaguars could have done so much better and done the organization such a great favor by bringing in Byron Leftwich and Adrian Wilson together. That would have forced a real culture change in Jacksonville. But now it appears like a same old, same old shot con type hire. I give it a C for now. You're too kind, David. I give it a straight D. And, you know, if it wasn't the example of Urban Meyer before us in Jacksonville, it would be an F, but that's only reserved for Urban Meyer right now as far as horrible. I don't think you can get much worse uh, than that, but that shouldn't be how this is graded. And, you know, I've seen a lot of articles online talking about the quarterback hire, uh, the head coach hirings this offseason, and then giving this Doug Peterson a straight A, the best hiring of the offseason. And I cannot believe it. It's absolutely ridiculous. If you look at Carson Wentz and say this, the person that made Carson Wentz what he is today is who I want with Trevor Lawrence's development. No, it's a nightmare. It's horrible. We're setting Trevor Lawrence back another two or three years here. It's a nightmare. I don't get it. I mean, Yes, compared to Urban Meyer, he looks great, but anybody does right now. So straight D, maybe a D minus even. It's terrible. Oh, I like it, Hal. I like it. And we might have to make those save Trevor Lawrence hashtags all over social media if the Jaguars continue to struggle next year because he doesn't deserve to be in the situation he does right now. There's just so much promise with this guy. This guy is supposed to be a top 10 quarterback within the next year or two. And if Doug Peterson can't get him there and if not harm his development, then shame on Shad Khan for not firing Trent Baalke and bringing Byron Leftwich in. This could be a hugely consequential decision for the career of Trevor Lawrence. And I hope and pray to God that I am proven wrong. And the Miami Dolphins, though, I think I like this hire. They hired 49ers offensive coordinator and run game coordinator Mike McDaniel as their new head coach. Mike McDaniel may not have called the plays in San Francisco, but from what I've heard from the, the 49ers players, he is a proven leader, first and foremost. And he helped a lot with the key play designs for Debo Samuel in that run game. He is going to know how to utilize a talent like Jalen Waddle, and he is going to know how to help Tua Tungavailoa play his best football in that Kyle Shanahan offense. Because uh, Tua Tungavailoa, he's probably never going to be on the level of a Justin Herbert or a Joe Burrow. But if you can get him in this offense. I think he could be better than Jimmy Garoppolo ever was in this Kyle Shanahan offense and get the utmost out of Tua. I love the sire for the Dolphins. Give it a solid B plus and it'll go to an A if Tua improves dramatically this year. Well, not simpatico here, David. I'm, I'm on a B minus. Look, at, I love Mike McDaniel. I love him. I think he's fantastic. But I'm looking at Miami and I'm saying, Is he better head coach than what they had before them? No, no, he's not. He's unproven. There was no reason to get rid of Brian Flores. It feels like this off season, you know, all of those great candidates there. Again, we've, we talked about who was out there and the dolphins dragging their feet. And I, you know, I just don't get it. You know, what was wrong with Byron Leftwich? What was wrong with Eric Bieniemy? Why aren't these guys getting the chance this season? Um, Again, 
somebody like a Leslie Frazier, a Raheem Morris, these guys ready to step in and do that job. I felt like Miami was looking for a situation of bring in somebody who's going to tell us, yes, Tua is the right decision, and I'm going to make everybody forget Justin Herbert. And if you're going into your head coach hiring that way, you're destined to fail. And like I said, nothing against Mike McDaniel. I think he's going to be a very good head coach. I just don't put my faith in, you know, anybody being able to, to make Tua a uh, playoff caliber quarterback here right now. And Miami trying to, I, it, it screams of the first person that tells me, yes, you did a great job drafting Tua. I can take him and bring him up another level is the one we're going to hire. And that's the vibe I got on this one. So B minus for me. That is a fair observation. Now, this next hire was the result of a very, very horrible process. But I have a feeling, and I might be going on a limb here, that this might have been the best hire for this team in the end, believe it or not. Lovey Smith is coming back for a third head coaching stint in the National Football League with the Houston Texans. Keep in mind, he was the Texans defensive coordinator under David Culley this past season. And uh, here are some of the good benefits of this hire. You get to keep Pep Hamilton on the staff and promote him to offensive coordinator. You saw the magic he did with Justin Herbert his rookie year and the magic he did with Davis Mills this past season. And if you keep him with Davis Mills and Davis Mills continues to improve and look more and more like a long-term successor to Deshaun Watson, then this hire's a home run. It really is. But this contract that they gave Lovey Smith is a la David Culley on the short term. So if you want to get rid of Lovey in a year or two, you have to keep the seat warm for only one guy. And it's not Josh McCown. It's Pep Hamilton. That's all there is to it. I'm giving this hiring a solid C plus right now because of so many variables that go in it, but I am not as low on this hiring as many people are. No, I'm with you, David. Just the fact that Josh assistant, coach of his kids high school team is all my experience McCown is not the head coach in Texas for the Texans is a huge win right there because the man had no business being interviewed let alone second interviewed let alone finalist for the job I mean it was just so bizarre and the dysfunction that is coming out of Houston for the last couple of years. I mean, it stinks and it stinks and it stinks. And if there's one thing you can say about Lovey Smith is he's going to, he's already in that locker room. They already know who he is. He's instant credibility. He's instant disrupt the disruptions, get the credibility back He is a perfect hire for that. I'm with you 100%, David. I think that anyone that's calling this a bad hire doesn't know who Lovey Smith is, maybe forgot and hasn't been watching a lot of football lately. I don't know what it is, but, but this man just oozes integrity, and that's what this franchise is desperate for right now, and I think it's a great hire. I give uh, him a solid B. Yeah, and plus, uh, given how rocky that ship has been in Houston, and that's being kind, to say the least, he is the perfect guy to steady that ship. That's exactly what he's going to do. He is going to command immediate respect in that locker room. As you said, he is a proven leader of men. He led a team quarterback by Rex Grossman, of all people, to the Super Bowl, I say, in 2006. That just shows how much credibility he has, and he helped get the most out of a Jay Cutler-led quarterback team in 2010 until they fell to the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers in the NFC Championship game. Lovey Smith has been there and seen it, and he knows what it takes to win in this league. And with uh, Nick Casario uh, making the draft picks, uh, he and Casario working together, I think, uh, could only help the Houston Texans uh, get out of the rut they're in right now. Agree, agree on that one, David, 100%. And last but not least, the New Orleans Saints, after Sean Payton surprisingly decided to step away from coaching for the time being, the name that immediately came up to replace him 
was defensive coordinator Dennis Allen, and that is exactly the choice the Saints made. If the Saints didn't want a disruption continuity, they chose the right guy in Dennis Allen, who has been under Sean Payton in New Orleans for two separate stints in the 2000s when he was a young and up-and-coming coach, and then he became defensive coordinator of the Broncos, and uh, immediately after Von Miller's amazing rookie season, he got a head coaching job with the Raiders for three seasons and then went back to New Orleans after that and did a great job of fixing the mess that Rob Ryan made with that defense and turned the Saints into one of the league's better defensive units consistently throughout his tenure as defensive coordinator. This was a no-brainer hire. Keep the culture. Keep the familiarity in that locker room. A proven leader, as he showed when he... Um, had to be the acting head coach when Sean Payton uh, had COVID this year, and he just confused the hell out of Tom Brady and the Bucks. That alone should have sent his name to every NFL team who needed a head coach. He should have been a consideration elsewhere around the league. The Saints couldn't have done this any better. This is a solid B plus for me. Yeah, I, I'm pretty close to that, David. I, I'm in with the B. I think for the Saints, trying to keep things on the even keel. Um, having an experienced head coach at defensive coordinator who's ready to step right in, um, you know, calm, calm those stormy seas. I mean, um, the salary cap is a huge mess this offseason. You've got question marks at quarterback. Um, you've got Alvin Kamara at the Pro Bowl here. So getting arrested. Yes. Yes, exactly. So you've got a difficult situation there already. And the Saints really only had two options. It was, do we try to keep this moving in the direction we've been in for the last 15 years or so and try to, you know, another three or four years of contending, making the playoffs, uh, bridging this together here, or do we go nuclear and blow the entire thing up and completely start over? And if you're not going into that completely starting over, then yes, Dennis Allen is the right choice to make here. If you're blowing it up, this is where you would want to see, um, you know, trying to find that next Sean Payton, whether it's Byron Leftwich or whether that's uh, Eric Bieniemy or, uh, you know, a Kellen Moore or someone like that. But uh, to keep it, if you're going to keep it on the path, you're going to try to continue to keep contending and eke this out a little bit longer, this Sean Payton error without Sean Payton, then yes, Dennis Allen, solid choice. So solid B here since that appears to be the Saints plan. Absolutely, Hal. And let me add this. We rightfully praise the Steelers for organizational stability and continuity, just the three head coaches in 40 some years. But the same applies to the Saints in the past uh, 21 years or so, because uh, Sean Payton has been the head coach for 15 of those years. And Mickey Loomis has been the GM or the head decision maker in that front office for nearly this entire century. He uh, first joined the organization, I believe, in 2002. So the Saints are clearly trying to emulate the Steelers, and we cannot fault them for doing that organizationally. That's why I really, really liked the Dennis Allen hire. And the other highlight of Super Bowl week, aside from the big game, is the induction of a new class of members into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And this year, we had 15 incredible finalists. Jared Allen, one of the best pass rushers of the 2000s. Willie Anderson, underrated offensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. Rondé Barber, one of the best defensive backs ever for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at a key in those Bucks defenses of the 2000s. Tony Baselli, the Gale Sayers of left tackles. Leroy Butler, one of the best safeties, if not the best safety in modern Green Bay Packer history. The greatest return man of all time, Devin Hester. Torrey Holt, the key wide receiver in that greatest show on turf offense for the Rams. Andre Johnson, Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, and Bryant Young. And uh, let's make our own choices and choose the five that we hope to get in. And I will go first. The no-brainer on this list is easily DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus Ware was easily one of the most decorated pass rushers of the 2000s and the 2010s up until his retirement after the 2016 season. And to dominate all those years in Dallas, uh, uh, despite all those injuries, and to still play at a very high level for one of the best defenses in modern NFL history in Denver and win a Super Bowl, 
That is first ballot Hall of Fame material to me. DeMarcus Ware should easily be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. Who is your first member, Hal? Yeah, I can't argue with DeMarcus Ware. I definitely have him as a slam dunk. So he's one of my five. He's right at the top. And for like all the reasons uh, you mentioned, he's one of those players when he was out on the field, he was, you know, my definition of a Hall of Famer is somebody that dominates the thoughts of the opponents during uh, when they're playing. And that to me, that's DeMarcus Ware right there. He was, you know, whether it was the Cowboys offense or even at the end of his career, lining up with Vaughn Miller there for that potent one-two in Denver, you had to know where he was because he could wreck a game and wreck your quarterback uh, without a second thought. He's got all the hardware. He's got all the numbers. Everything fits. He's a slam dunk Hall of Famer in my mind. We're simpatico there. And now let's pick the other four members. In reality, I have my doubts that the Pro Football Hall of Fame would do this, but I think they should. Deion Sanders himself this past week said it would be, quote, absurd if this guy wasn't voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame on first ballot. I'm talking about the greatest return man in NFL history, Devin Hester. The Hall is allergic to getting specialists in on first ballot, but Devin Hester was truly one of a kind. Every time you kicked the ball to him, you had fears that he was going to run it back for a touchdown. He single-handedly kept the Bears in many of these games, whether they were being quarterbacked by Rex Grossman, Brian Greasy, or Jay Cutler for crying out loud, or Kyle Orton, Devin Hester was the best player on that Bears team, not named Brian Urlacher all those years. And he just brought a presence to the return game that we haven't seen since. And I doubt we'll ever, ever see again. He was the best to ever do it. And when you're the best to ever do it, you should be voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in your first year of eligibility. Devin Hester gets my vote for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. Again, David, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I am simpatico on that choice as well. I've got Devin. <laughs> Devin Hester is there in my top five uh, to be a finalist. I think he as well is a slam dunk. We talk about, you know, changing the game plan, um, making yourself known, changing a game from a loss to a win in one play. Nobody did it better than Devin Hester. Uh, dynamic, um, you know, again, did so many things, punt return, kick return. I don't care about that he was just a special teams player. Special teams players are part of the game as well, just like the offense and the defense. And he affected games. He won games. He was the best there was for an extended period of time at his position. He is a Hall of Famer, period. This guy has been a finalist for the past six years, and he's long overdue to get in. I am talking about Tony Baselli, who I referred to as the Gale Sayers of offensive tackles. Tony Baselli didn't have a long career, and that's probably why he still isn't in the Hall of Fame as of this moment. But you got Gale Sayers in, you got Terrell Davis in, and if you got Terrell Davis in, and no offense to Terrell Davis, who I really love, you know I love him. You got to get Tony Baselli in. Tony Baselli was the best left tackle in football for nearly the entire duration of his career. In his third, fourth, and fifth seasons, he was voted first team all pro. And in his second season, when the Jaguars made the playoffs in only their second year as a franchise, they had to go to Buffalo and he had to play Bruce Smith. And he said, let me handle him one-on-one, -on -one, the NFL's all-time sack leader, Bruce Smith. And he just shut him down that entire game that helped the Jaguars pull off that upset. Some people are shooty comments. This is the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Longevity. It's time for the Hall of Fame to stand by that claim and vote in Tony Baselli to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He gets my vote for the class of 2022. Oh, and there goes the simpatico alert. Oh, there's so many good <laughs> offensive linemen out there. Uh, this time, no, it's not going off. It's broken, David. I <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, you know, Tony Maselli, Willie Anderson. Oh, don't make me choose between these guys. Yeah, you know, I mean, Willie Anderson played in Cincinnati during some downtimes. That certainly works against him, that fame part of the Hall of Fame. 
Um, and again, Vaselli, that shining candle so bright, but for such a short period of time before that NFL career was snuffed out, uh, not in my top five. One who is, though, Richard Seymour, former Raiders and Patriots defensive end, defensive tackle, um, you know, multiple Pro Bowls, multiple AP first team, second team, didn't put up the gaudy statistics each year. Uh, you know, you look at his tackle numbers, you look at his sack numbers, and they're kind of unimpressive compared to everyone else. But this man, this as a young man, was an instant leader on that New England defense. And for all the greatness of Tom Brady in those early Patriots years, it was Adam Vinatieri and the New England defense that did so much to make those teams uh, that first dynasty. And Richard Seymour was the player that opposing offenses game planned against on that defense. Uh, went on to Oakland for another four years after that. Uh, has the longevity, has the rings, has the credibility, was a game changer. To me, he is a slam dunk Hall of Famer. The Saponico alert was broken. But now it's fixed. Richard Seymour made my final five as well. And you said it. Tom Brady is the GOAT. But when he was becoming the GOAT, those teams with the Patriots in the early 2000s, their defense and their special teams helped take the pressure off Tom Brady and were integral to those Super Bowl wins, even more so than Tom Brady. Tom Brady was very integral to the Super Bowl wins the Patriots had in the 2010s over the Seahawks and Falcons, but not as much in the 2000s when he had those great defenses. Ty Law already got in a couple years ago. It is time to enshrine Richard Seymour, the other great member of those Patriots defenses from the early 2000s into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And here's why. Richard Seymour, he was first team defense for the 2000s All-Decade team. And all with that distinction, except for Dwight Freeney, who isn't eligible until next year, are already in the hall. It is time for Richard Seymour to go into Canton. Richard Seymour is in my top five as well. Uh, so let's hear your fourth member, Hal. Well, you know, uh, we talk about the trenches all the time, David. I'm just partial to those big guys in there doing all that work. And another one uh, in that same a uh, little bit earlier time frame, maybe, than Richard Seymour, but not by much. Bryant Young, 49ers, uh, Super Bowl winner, definitely, again, big work in the trenches, run stuffer, getting after the quarterback, overall 100% disruptor. Uh, I look at Bryant Young, he's in my top five. I've got to add him onto that list as well. And now you're looking at my list and you're saying, okay, Seymour, where? Um, now Bryant Young, what do I, just like these, these big defensive players? Yes, they deserve the recognition. They do the work that doesn't get recognized too often. And is this a, you want to say I'm course correct in the Hall of Fame? I don't care. Bryant Young, he's in my five. Bryant Young definitely has a fantastic case for the Hall of Fame. I definitely agree. But as we said a couple years ago, there's a log jam at wide receiver, and you have to get some of these wide receivers in, and that's exactly what they did with uh, Terrell Owens and Randy Moss in 2018. You're looking at a looming log jam here with uh, Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne and Steve Smith, who's already eligible, and Andre Johnson. You got to clear this log jam, and Reggie Wayne's been waiting long enough. He concluded his career 10th all-time in receptions and 10th all-time receiving yards, and he still occupies those two spots all-time in NFL history. Reggie Wayne, he was a big reason why Peyton Manning was able to shatter all those records in Indianapolis before he came to Denver, and he was a big reason why uh, Marvin Harrison uh, shattered that reception record because uh, you had to 
pick your poison. Do I cover Harrison? Do I cover Wayne? Both those guys got open religiously. And Reggie Wayne was the dependable security blanket, not just for Peyton Manning, but for the first couple years of Andrew Luck's career as well. He's got the longevity. He's got the production. It is time for Reggie Wayne to go to Canton. He gets my vote for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. Who is your fifth member, Hal? You know, I, I agree. Those wide receivers, we're seeing more and more every year that, you know, the, the gaudy numbers as the league turns into a passing league here in the 21st century, that log jam is just growing and growing and growing. Um, no doubt about it. But again, I got to go once more with my defensive players here. And, you know, a player again, who was the best player on his teams a year after year that had such a huge impact. One of the best pass rushers, he had that long greasy hair that you could just imagine it on fire uh, while he was playing because he played like it was on fire. And that's Jared Allen. Broncos and Bears fans concur. (laughs) Nightmares. I mean, just, uh, you know, impact player. You know, Reggie Wayne just had the uh, great opportunity of, you know, maybe it's a little diminished by having Marvin Harrison there and saying, no, he's kind of the 1B to the Harrison 1A. So Jared Allen was 1B to nobody. Uh, I've got to put Jared Allen in as my number five. Uh, If I had the pick here, it would be Jared Allen uh, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Absolutely. You cannot go wrong with Jared Allen or Bryant Young either. I have no complaints about your list, and I'm sure you would uh, deep down have no complaints about mine either. All 15 of these candidates are deserving. I wish the Hall could admit more than five per year, but sadly, that's uh, how they still operate. But hopefully they change that in the years ahead by allocating more money for just one or maybe even two more bronze busts per year. So more and more of these well-deserving candidates get their moment for football immortality and speaking of football immortality what is better on the road to football immortality than winning a super bowl let's preview super bowl 56 between the Bengals and the rams now when you look at the Bengals, zach taylor has a very interesting message for his team he is not embracing the underdog role he is saying we are not underdogs we are destined for this Is he right to say that or is he wrong to say that? I kind of have some arguments either way. I'm kind of ambivalent. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, by the time that, you know, that entire pregame ceremony of the Super Bowl finally ends, the week of the hype is over. I don't think any of that really matters once the bright lights are on and the kickoff starts and the game starts. It doesn't matter who's the underdog, who's the favorite, but we've seen that countless times, especially in these big games like the Super Bowl as well. Um, what matters is what team's ready to play um, and their preparation and game planning coming into this game are so vital and underdog, not underdog doesn't make a difference at all. Yes, and when you look at the Rams, no team in the past four or five years has defined what it means to go all in more than the Rams draft picks. Screw that. We're trading them all away for proven commodities. And that's exactly what they have done. And uh, they have done it more than ever this past year. And they are on the doorstep once again of Super Bowl glory. They had a chance a couple years ago against the Patriots, but unfortunately that didn't work but now they have a chance against the Cincinnati Bengals. On paper, at least to me, this looks like by far the best chance the Rams will ever get in the Sean McVay era to win a Super Bowl. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I I think if there's one team that's playing with no pressure, we're talking about Cincinnati. They've got that, hey, we're just glad to be here. Um, Nobody thought we were going to make it. We're going to go out. We're going to play our game. We're going to leave it all on the field and see what happens. For the Rams, there might be a little bit of tightness there. Um, Like you said, there's a lot invested in this season for the Rams. There's a lot of change that could be coming over the the offseason here. 
They've pushed all their chips in for this season right now, and they've got to be feeling that pressure uh, heading up into the big game. And that kind of pressure, hey, that's real. You know, I mean, just look at the Patriots 16 and 0 year going up against the Giants. Those players will tell you, um, you know, they felt that weight of expectation going into that game. So definitely a real thing. Hopefully the Rams can embrace that role and say, you know, yes, this is our best and last chance. So we can't play tight. We got to play loose. We got to leave it all out on the field, uh, 60 minutes or more if necessary, and uh, go full tilt because I agree this is, you know, looking like the uh, dynasty is kind of winding down. You're not having all those first round picks coming in there, um, filling those spots. So for, for the Rams, a lot of pressure on this game. Kevin O'Connell's last game as offensive coordinator as well. He's going to be replaced now. So um, for Sean McVay, yeah, this is, this is your legacy game. You don't want to be um, one of those coaches that can't pull it out in the, the big game. There's a lot of pressure uh, for Los Angeles at home here this week. Yes, and uh, this storyline kind of gets lost, Mr. Bowl, but this is the second consecutive year and only the second time in NFL history where a Super Bowl is being played in a, one of the team's home stadiums, Tampa last year and the Rams this year. That said, there were more Niners fans than Rams fans yes. at the NFC Championship. So this is definitely not necessarily going to be the same home field advantage it is for this year for the Rams that it was last year for the Bucks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the NFC Championship game sure sounded a lot like San Francisco, <laughs> not like Los Angeles, uh, based on the cheering on what was going on during that game. It was very, very strange experience to be, uh, you know, home field advantage in the playoffs like that and, and have to crowd against you. And again, I, I, you know, these opportunities that don't come around even though it's the second year in a row uh, may not happen for another 50 years for all we know so rams you know need to be taking advantage of that and again that can be just a little bit more pressure as well as if you're playing at home and it feels like a road game and you don't feel that crowd behind you that can be a little disconcerting to the players out on the field yeah did you see uh, pictures of like the uh, Bally's both teams had on Monday night uh, the bagels at Paul Brown oh, yeah. Stadium and the Rams at a uh, high school in the LA area. Cool. Oh my yeah, God, the crowd exactly. disparity. Oh my goodness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, and you might just say, well, you know, LA is a little spoiled and all with everything going on. But, but you, you know, let's face it, we, we learned during the pandemic with those empty stadiums, home field advantage is for real. You know, crowd noise can affect the game. And, you know, to have that opportunity to have that advantage uh, and miss out on that, you want every advantage you have in these big games. And for the Rams to be potentially missing out on that, very tough card dealt there. You said it. And who do you think is the biggest X factor in this game for the Rams? I mean, I think looking at, at the Rams, you, you can't call him an X factor um, because you know, he's the most important player on that offense and that's Cooper cup. And he's going to get so much attention and, you know, for the X factor, it's going to be just like it was last week. A lot of pressure on Odell Beckham jr. Uh, in a big game. Here's a player that just hasn't had the opportunity for this big stage in the postseason. He certainly stepped up against San Francisco. He's the X factor. He's going to have to do that because, you know, Cooper Cup, no matter how many people they roll at him, is going to find a way to get open, whether it by scheme, whether it by that short space athleticism that makes him so great. But if it's just cup in that passing offense, it's a long day for the Rams because I don't think that running game is going to be able to contribute. If you're one dimensional with one receiver, you're in big trouble. So Odell Beckham Jr., a lot of pressure to be that X factor and be that piece that converts those third downs, makes that big play while Cooper Cup is under that double coverage. Odell Beckham Jr. is definitely a big X factor for the Rams, but I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here, so to speak. This is a guy who just might be playing 
in his final NFL game. I don't know what he plans on doing next season, but it's very, very possible that this is his last NFL game period. I'm talking about Rams left tackle Andrew Whitworth. He's going to be playing in his second Super Bowl. Although this time it's going to be facing the team that drafted him into the NFL and the team he grew up with. He grew up with the Bengals. He became one of the league's best offensive tackles with the Cincinnati Bengals. And not only that, he spent the offseason training with Joe Burrow. They bonded together. They, uh, he took him under his wing. He is going to have so much emotion headed into this game and how he channels that emotion. And it's protecting his quarterback, Matthew Stafford, will go a long way toward helping the Rams win this game because I promise you, he is thinking, I do not want to regret coming to Los Angeles and leaving the Bengals. I want to walk out with a ring on my finger. That's all there is to it. So my biggest X factor for the Rams is Iron Man, Andrew Whitworth. And for the Bengals' biggest X factor, in my eye, it's Joe Mixon. Because the biggest mismatch in this game that everybody's talking about, and which we'll get to in a couple minutes, to neutralize that mismatch, you got to run the ball and throw short passes, and you got a running back that could do both of that very, very well in Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon might have to have the game of his life this week in order for the Bengals to pull off the upset. So that is my biggest X factor for the Bengals, Joe Mixon. What about you, Hal? Yeah, I don't want to, uh, you know, circle that same one but yes definitely joe mixon i think is a huge x factor in this game Um, i'm going to come up with somebody different just because you stole them from me here david but uh, (laughs) but no i'm i'm going to roll out um you know when you think of this offense with joe burrow throwing the ball jamar chase is the number one big play target most likely to take over this game and if i'm the rams well then he's going to get a lot of attention from Jalen Ramsey, who is probably the best cornerback in the NFL uh, these past few seasons, uh, if not top one of the top three, impossible to get him out of there as far as I'm concerned. So um, my X factor for Cincinnati, I'm looking at those other two wide receivers, uh, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, both capable of taking over a game. Both have had, big games uh, for Cincinnati here in the playoffs during that regular season. T Higgins, thousand yard receiver all on his own. Uh, The veteran Tyler Boyd, um, you know, 800 plus yards receiving during the regular season as well. Those two putting pressure on the rest of that Rams secondary, which may be uh, outside of Jalen Ramsey, maybe their only weak spot on that defense that can be exploited. So, they want to take use Ramsey to take away the big play Jamar Chase, then they're going to have to get their big plays from T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and they can be the X factors for that Cincinnati offense. And speaking of matchups, let's explore some other key matchups that will prove decisive into who carries home the Lombardi trophy away from SoFi stadium on Sunday. The biggest mismatch everybody is talking about the Bengals offensive line, against the Rams defensive front with two future Hall of Famers in Aaron Donald and Von Miller. And look at these numbers, courtesy of Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. In terms of pass block win rate, Bengals left tackle Jonah Williams ranked 50th out of 68 candidates. Left guard Quinton Spain, 62nd out of 63 candidates. Center Trey Hopkins, 26 out of 32 candidates. Right guard Hakeem Adeniji, 57 out of 63 candidates and right tackle Isaiah Prince, who will likely be facing Von Miller, 59 out of 68 candidates. That's how bad the Bengals are at pass protection. That's all there is to it. And that is the biggest mismatch on paper in this game that could prove decisive. How do the Bengals overcome that aside from running the ball with Joe Mixon? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy, and we've seen that with the Bengals' offense when they've sputtered at times uh, in the playoffs and had to, you know, uh, come back against the Chiefs and uh, the game against Tennessee where uh, they clamped down on them. And again, it was, you know, just the mastery of Joe Burrow. We saw, especially early in the game, Cincinnati very vulnerable to the pass rush as they settled in, uh, you know, again, working that underneath, 
um, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. You know, if some way C.J. Uzoma is able to play with that, uh, what is it, sprained MCL that yes. looked like it was knocking him out of the playoffs, but he's come out and said, I'm not missing this game. So <laughs> we'll see if he's out there or not. But again, the, those short passing, uh, that short passing game, Joe Mixon, use the screen game, use the end arounds, get that pass rushed flummoxed. Uh, be able to buy that extra half second for Burrow and just let him do his magic uh, like he's been doing in this postseason. It's not a good matchup for Cincinnati, but we talked about that against the Chiefs pass rush and said, hey, this isn't a good matchup for Cincinnati. And in the first quarter, it looked like it was over for Cincinnati and Kansas City was just going to just blow them off the the field. So the ability of that Bengals offensive line to adapt, the ability uh, to extend drives, whether through Joe Mixon running the ball, catching the ball out of the backfield, wide receivers, end around, short passing game, converting on third down over and over again. The longer you leave that defense out there, the more of those veterans, uh, Vaughn Miller, Leonard Floyd, are going to slow down on that pass rush. I was looking for a similar matchup that was advantageous to the Bengals. And thinking outside the box, I think I might have found one, and you might be quite surprised. Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo against Sean McVay, because Mm -hmm. if there is one fatal flaw with Sean McVay, as we saw in that Super Bowl against your Patriots a couple years ago, is he outthinks himself. He just sticks to what he does and is hesitant to make adjustments. He has so much trust in what he's doing. That is his fatal flaw, and Lou Anarumo is known for his amazing game plans, and he is going to have a great plan to confuse Matthew Stafford with all those blitz packages and the Rams, although they're not as bad as the Bengals on their offensive line, they're not the best pass protection unit either. And with the Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader, those guys aren't shabby. BJ Hill, yeah. that guy interception. Oh my God, this Bengals defensive line is no pushover. And and sending guys like Logan Wilson and Jesse Bates on blitzes to confuse Stafford. Anarumo might have some tricks up his sleeve and Sean McVay better be ready for them or it could be a long day for the Rams. That could be a potentially fatal mismatch that negatively affects the Rams. What do you think? I think that's a a great point, David. I mean, for the Rams, this offense, um, you look at their best games during the season and the the games that they put up the points, um, the high number of points, they get over 30 points. When that offense is clicking, it is when they are able to run the football effectively. Their season turned around uh, when Sony Michelle stepped up and they've got Cam Akers back as well. Um, I don't think it's an easy task running against the Bengals defense. It's been very good against the run this year. Um, I don't think Cam Akers, uh, just a few months after that Achilles injury, uh, Sony Michelle, uh, a good but not great running back. Again, like you said with Sean McVay, I can see him going too long, thinking that he's you know got to get that running game going to open things up for Stafford. And uh, just like in that pa- Patriots Super Bowl, he didn't open up that offense until the fourth quarter when it was almost too late and just fell short. This could be another situation as well where he sticks to what he does with this offense and you know I'm going to establish this running game to open up my passing game and all of a sudden you're in the third quarter and you got three points it's a little late to try to open the floodgates then so I think that's a great point there Uh, he gets too caught up uh, trying to get too pretty with that running game it could be a big mistake a big tactical error that could swing to Cincinnati's advantage And now it's time to make our picks for who will win Super Bowl 56. I doubted the Bengals against the Raiders in the wildcard round. I doubted them against the Titans in the divisional round. I obviously doubted them against the Chiefs in the conference championship game. Not anymore. I just cannot bet against the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow, his unbelievable, unflappable poise. They're 
constant ability to come back. The mantra, why not us? Why not Cincinnati indeed? This is the team that is meant to deliver the first Lombardi trophy to the city of Cincinnati, so I speak. It just feels that way. I just cannot go against the Bengals bandwagon anymore. Bengals 24, Rams 21. How? Stay tuned for bowl predictions. I like it, David, and you can sound that simpatico alert. I I can go back to, uh, you know, listen to our episode back at the end of September. I had David's seat next to me on that Cincinnati bandwagon warm back then. Um, This team is special. This is a special opportunity uh, for Cincinnati. And, oh, my God, they need this. It'd be such a great story. You look at Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Jalen Ramsey, and you say, how are they going to do this? Well, one way or another, they're going to do it. I'll save that for the bold prediction as well. But I've got Cincinnati 27, the Rams 24. And let's make those bold predictions. What is your bold prediction for Super Bowl 56, Hal? So Cincinnati, slow starting again in the Super Bowl is the way I see it. But the eventual Super Bowl MVP cashes in three touchdowns in the second half. Mr. Joe Mixon, two on the ground, one in the air, 150 yards rushing, over 50 yards receiving. That short passing game, that running game uh, is what Cincinnati needs to win the game. That's what they do. MVP Joe Mixon for the dramatic win in a huge second half. I like that bowl prediction, Hal. And here is my bowl prediction. The Bengals like to tweet from their social media account. That's why you draft a kicker. (laughs) And the guy that everybody knows as Money Mac, Evan McPherson. But I have a better nickname for him. How about Evan McFearless? Yeah. Yeah. For the third straight time this postseason, he kicks a last-second walk-off field goal, but this time from an all-time record-tied distance of 66 yards for the Bengals to win their first-ever Super Bowl as a franchise. Evan McPherson, Evan McFearless, does it again. That is my bold prediction. And now it's time for our challenge flags. And my challenge flag goes to Zach Taylor and the Bengals offense. Please don't be too predictable by always running the ball on first down. You only risk yourself uh, getting it less advantageous down in distant situations on third down, which will absolutely make Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and that Rams pass rush salivate. Take your chances on first down. Don't run the ball all the time on first down. Be bold. That is my challenge flag. What is your challenge flag, Hal? Oh, I'm going to step out of the Super Bowl for just a second here for this challenge flag because mine is for the commissioner, Roger Goodell. Roger, listen to Brian Flores. Investigate the tanking. We don't want that. Any credibility of our game. We're now hearing the news about all these uh, footballs that were deflated way back uh, when with the Patriots that, oh, wait a minute, what happened to that data? Uh, According to Mike Florio, the NFL destroyed it because uh, it did not support their case on that horrible decision to suspend Tom Brady for deflate gate. Uh, Roger Goodell's been dragging his feet with the Washington commandos, commodores, whatever the (laughs) heck you call them now. Oh my God! Football team would have been a better name. Daniel Snyder, uh, is a human monster. Yes, he is. Comment. He is. He should be out of the league. Goodell, stop dragging your feet there in Washington D.C. Listen to Brian Flores. Give the man the respect. He's putting his career. He's a young head coach with a great record, and he's putting his career at risk uh, to speak out for what he thinks is right. Uh, listen to him, take it very serious, deal with it, um, and do the right thing. Please, NFL, do what's best, not for the 32 owners 
hiding behind their billions of dollars. Do the right thing for everybody that's a fan of football. Um, and please, please, please just do the right thing for once, Roger. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, of FaucetSportPage.com and full press coverage. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap Super Bowl 56 and analyze the latest hot buzz around the National Football League as we begin the so-called off season. So stay tuned. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram at sports crunch with dcrom. And remember that's crunch with a K. Also be sure to check out the new and improved SportsCrunch.com. for Hal bent. This is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome and have a stellar Super Bowl Sunday cats and kittens. Stay cool. Mm-hmm.